I have the privilege of just doing a one-off kind of preach, and uh, sometimes when I do this, I talk a lot, very passionately, about the church and the future, and great bringing some theological kind of angle on something or other, and other times, I get the opportunity to bring something that is just kind of a burden, something that I've been living with for a few uh, weeks, and I have been, and you get to be the end of my burden as I unleash the thing that I've been thinking about to you today. So I've entitled this word, this is going to surprise you, I told you it was a one-off, the entitled this word is How Not to Be Lonely. And um, as we look through this together, um, hopefully you'll understand what on earth is he talking about. For me, this passage, this passage of scripture we're going to look at has been very convicting. I've, I've been looking at my life, I've been looking at the things that I do with my life and the busyness of my life and realizing that some things have got to change. So this is not something I bring to you that's just a theoretical thing, that's something I'm still living with, I'm not there, I've still got a long way to go, but I'm in the middle of it right now. And I don't want to be, me to be the only one convicted, so I want to share this with everybody else as well. Psalm 68, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And um, in the NIV version, slightly different from the ESV, it says this. I'm going to read it to you. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. This is an amazing statement about the character of God. Um, I don't know if you ever get people say to you, so come on, you're a Christian, what's God like then? I don't know what kind of answer you give to that, but I think that first phrase is a remarkable way to answer the question. And it would shock people, because they don't think of God as someone close to us, they think of him as irrelevant or distant. But why don't you answer the question what God's like? He's, he's a father, and he's a father to the fatherless. Don't you think that's an amazing statement that God makes about himself? There are many people in the world today that don't have fathers. Or even if they do have fathers, sometimes those fathers are absent. Or even when those fathers are present, then they're just not very good at being fathers. And some obviously don't have fathers at all. In fact, this generation growing up in the UK has also been entitled the fatherless generation. It's like so many don't have fathers. And this is an amazing, even if you had a really, to quote the song, good, good father, you still don't really know your heavenly father in the same way. You try as a father to portray something of what God's character is like, but you know you fall short. You know that, it's just reality. But you are introducing them to your heavenly father as best you know how. How amazing, whatever your experience of fathering is, that you then can come into a relationship with God when you become a Christian and discover he's a father. He's a father to the fatherless. He's my father. That's what God is like. And then this strange phrase, secondly, there's three things looking at, the defender of widows. And it's strange because I don't know lots of widows. I mean, I do, and widowers, I know many of them as well. But the reality is to describe what that feels like is very different unless you've lived through it, obviously, yourself. But what I do know is that God is a defender of widows. Widows are people who have suffered loss. Widows are people who have been left behind. They feel abandoned, forgotten. And God comes into it and says, 
You may feel lost. You may feel abandoned. Everybody's ignoring you. I am your defender. I know you. I know a sparrow when it falls to the ground and dies, God says. How much more does your heavenly father know you and love you and meet all your needs? And if you're a widow, you are special because my eye is particularly upon you. I'm defending you. I'm protecting you. I'm providing for you. I will never, ever forget you, even if everybody else does. You are allowed to sow your appreciation for this amazing God if you want. And here's the third thing, and this is where we're going to home in this morning. He sets the lonely in families. Apparently, if you're lonely, the antidote to loneliness is family. This, of course, is immediately relevant if you're an orphan or you've been neglected or whatever. Um, Adoption, when a family adopts somebody, this verse is really read out. It becomes alive in all its totality. God sets the lonely, the child who hasn't got parents, into a family unit. And that is an expression more than anything, which is why as a church we want to so get behind organizations like Home for Good and others because literally they're doing this. A friend of mine called Rob Glover runs an organization called Care for Children. He felt him and his wife got called by God to go to, they were living on the island of Guernsey, I knew him then, and they moved to China. And their goal was to put Chinese children in care into families. Do you know how many children they've put into families over the last 20 years? One million children. That organization, they said, great that these children are in care, but much better is you put them into families. In China, there was no concept of adoption into family until he turned up. And so it's amazing. And now they're into the Philippines and Cambodia. He's not a guy that does things on a small scale. His passion for children is amazing. God sets the lonely in families. If you're single, widowed, divorced, God's will for you, we'll come to this in a moment, is that you are set into a family, an expression of family. I, I think this is relevant now to people who live away from their families. There was a generation not so long ago where mum, dad, uncle, aunt, granny, grandpa, everybody all lived in the same street. That's gone. That's completely gone. For all sorts of reasons, economic reasons, persecution reasons, dictator over your nation reason. You know, if you meet Zimbabweans all over the world, you know why. They've just been devastated and their families are devastated in the process. And so when I read God sets the lonely in families, you can feel like an exile miles away now from your earthly family. God's will is for you not to feel that you're alone. This Christmas, you won't be getting together with your family. Why? Because it's spread all over the world. And God says, it doesn't matter. I've got a family for you. And I want you to be part of this and for that to be expressed in your, your life. Because uh, I travel... Uh, quite a bit. Sometimes Liz doesn't come with me, so I'm somewhere out there on my own, and I can be pretty kind of lonely as I tuck myself into bed at night all on my own. And then I wake up the next morning, and I walk straight into this family of God. I can be in a different part of the world. People speak a different language, totally different culture. And the moment we start to be family of God together, I'm at home. It doesn't matter where I am in the world. God sets the lonely in families. So this is also true of the family of God. Um, God sets the lonely into the family of God as well. Even if you give up, Jesus said, your 
you lose things on the way because you become a Christian, God says, I'll give you back a hundredfold. You end up with a bigger family. You end up with more brothers and more sisters than you had before you were even a Christian. This is the family of God, the local church. Now I'm going to make a bold statement, and I don't know whether you agree with this or not, but I've got the microphone, so it doesn't really matter. I'm only joking. The issue facing our society right now, the issue is not Brexit. I believe it's the devastating isolation and loneliness that literally millions of people in this country experience on a daily basis. And some of you might even be here today. And the reason I'm preaching this is because Christmas is coming up. And for Christmas, this is not good news for a whole load of people. Why? Because they're going to be on their own. Because suddenly their loneliness becomes so apparent. And so it's good to talk about this. It's good to talk about this thing that I've, I've really been living with for weeks now. The devastation of isolation and loneliness all around us. Everywhere. Brexit is an issue. Climate change is an issue, of course. Knife crime in London is a terrible blight. It is an issue. But I want to argue that though these things are important, there is something that we can miss that's even more a tragedy, and that is isolation and loneliness. I've got some good news for you right at the start. God, as we've already seen in this, these verses in Psalm 68, he addresses this issue, which we're going to look at this morning. He shows us what the answer is. We'll look at that too. And then thirdly, he provides an alternative. You do not have to be lonely. God has got solutions for this loneliness. You know, you, you work out the Christian life where you're born. Have you noticed that? Wherever you're born, you, your responsibility is to live out the Christian life within your society. You have to understand what the needs of your society are. You have to understand how you work out your Christian faith in this particular environment. And, um, and how you do church. How new community does church is vital because it, it has to be relevant. It has to communicate to the needs of those people that are around us right now. <clears throat> and the truth is this. If you're a Christian in China right now... Um, you know, loneliness and isolation may not be the biggest problem that you're looking at all the time because it's persecution. Because you're being persecuted for your faith. And you're also living in the biggest revival that's ever happened on the planet, which is quite interesting, I presume. And you're working out how does this all... Or if you're born somewhere in the world where loneliness is not an issue. I just want to just say this. Loneliness is not a global issue. Loneliness is a Western secular society issue. In other words, I have friends who live in different parts of the world and loneliness is not an issue. Why? Because they live in community. What do I mean by that? They're just surrounded by family and friends. They think community. They do community. The old are cared for. Everybody's in this community. Um, at the moment, I'm bumping to Brazilians everywhere I go in the churches that we work with. And um, I was just chatting to a few of them the other day. And it's obvious in a few, in a few moments conversation... They've been raised in a completely different environment to me. I'm raised in an isolationist, independent, consumerist world. They live in a world where everything's food. Everything's community. Even the way you interpret scriptures is different when you're from an Eastern mindset because you're thinking everything through community. We translate everything through our individual state. 
And, and, and this is a massive challenge. So this is not a global. There are people in the world today for whom this is not an issue. But for the majority of us, this is where we're working Christianity out in a very secular world that has produced isolation, breakdown of family, breakdown of community. The changes in the last two generations in this nation are massive, and we're Christians, and we're living in the midst of it all. And we can't ignore it. We can't just walk away from it and pretend it's not there. We're called by God to do something about it. So real quickly, I just want to... I don't think I've got to convince you about this lonely isolationist thing, but I am going to give you just a few stats to kind of help you to drive the thing home, to paint the picture. So let's ask the question, who are the lonely? Who are the lonely? Well, if you're elderly, apparently you qualify to be lonely. If you are elderly, often you will feel simply alone. As I've already said, there are certain parts of the world today where you would be elderly and not feel like this. This is my personal conviction. I think the UK is quite a scary place to be elderly because of neglect, because of being forgotten and being marginalised. There are some parts of the world where you don't have the money we've got and you don't have the housing we've got, you don't have the clothing we've got, but you're elderly and you love every minute of it because you're surrounded by your family and friends and everyone looks up to you. And actually getting old is not a problem. It's something that you honour and you've got wisdom. You have colour hair like mine, you are applauded immediately. <laughs> if you have coloured hair like mine here, the danger is, could you please get out of the way? We're the new generation, we're very busy and we're coming through. It's a bit of a scary place to be an elderly person in Western secular world right now. But there are millions and millions of us. Notice I use the word us on the way growing all the time millions esther ransom's a name that some of you will know she started up this um phone line called the silver line whereby older people who are isolated and lonely can have a chat what they didn't realize was how massive this would become and here's the saddest thing of all christmas day is the busiest day for them of the year so all the people manning their phones just talk to lonely older people who are living not only Christmas Day but Boxing Day and the day before Christmas Day and probably the two days after Boxing Day with no one to talk to. And these people live in your street. They highlighted, listen, one of the Daily Telegraph highlighted uh, her, Esther Ransom, having a conversation with an older lady whose husband had died. She was living all, her all on her own with none of her friends. Her family had all moved away. And she interviewed her. And guess where she lives? Elton. That was the interview. I went, whoa, this is relevant to us. This lady lives in Elton, just down the road from here. Let me quote you this from the Silver Line um, people. I don't even know what to call them. <laughs> quote, whenever you speak to an elderly person on the Silver Line, they always say the same thing. Listen to this. They tell you, what busy lives their adult children lead, then explain what important jobs they do and why they haven't got the time to visit or even stay in touch. There's real pride. Despite their aching loneliness, it's heartbreaking to see. Let me give you just a few stats. This is our world. 51% of those aged 75 or over 
in the UK live alone. 51%. An increase, this is how massive it is, of 24% over the past two decades. I wonder what's going to happen in the next two decades. 1.2 million people in the UK describe themselves as chronically lonely, according to Age UK. While 9 million say they often or always feel lonely. Let me just say that again. 9 million, just in case you missed it. Say they often or always feel lonely. 0.5 million older people. Just turn the page over. What does it say? 9.5 older people go at least, I can't believe this when I read it, five to six days a week without seeing anyone at all. 40% of older people say the television is their main source of company. That is 40%. 1.9 million older people report feeling ignored or invisible. And when it comes to social care and looking after the elderly, it just becomes a massive issue for our society who basically do not have the resources to be able to do much about it, though they try their best. This is not God's will. This is not God's plan. This is not acceptable. And these people are all around you and me, and they're all alone, and God sees every one of them. I think the problem is we don't. And I want this morning to just lift our attention to this issue and open our eyes to see this, this terrible, terrible dilemma that's all around us. So if you're elderly, you probably are one of the lonely. Here's another thing that will surprise you, the complete opposite. If you are young, you are more likely to be lonely. We have Generation Z. I'm such a cool guy. I know all these things. By the way, if you're part of the millennial generation, you're now old and irrelevant. I thought you'd just like to know that. You're past it, you're gone, you've got your own problems. Generation Z are the first generation to be raised. They've never known what life is like to be without a smartphone. They've never known what life is like to be consumed by media all around them. They are described, incidentally, as the most isolated and alone generation that's ever been raised in this society. 11 to 15-year-olds spend between six to eight hours a day consuming one form of media or another, most of which is spent in their bedrooms, isolated from the family unit. Have you ever gone out to a restaurant and seen a family rock up and sit down at the table for their family meal together and all the screens come out? I mean, I literally watched the other day a, a waitress trying to interrupt them to ask them for their order and they barely looked up from their screens and then the whole of the rest of the time, they're all isolated units. You know, we're desperate for community. We go to Cafe Nero and sit down. You try having a conversation with anybody because we're all so busy with the headphones. And just, it's just like this is what the world has now become. So what does this, why does this make younger people um, isolated? It's because their social skills are beginning to be crippling. They don't know how to relate to people. They relate to screens, and on their screens, they've got lots of friends who are not really friends at all. They just don't, it's not friendship, it's not companionship, it's not tactile, it's not touching, it's not physical. And the tragedy of this is the stats are coming that they're constantly comparing themselves with one another, they're constantly moving into themselves rather than out of themselves. Mental health is on the rise 
because of the depth of isolation and loneliness this generation is finding themselves in. And here's the terrible thing. It's even literally resulting in suicide at a rate that we've never known before. I think you're pretty convinced. But the tragedy is you can be surrounded by so-called friends but feel totally isolated. Who are the lonely? Well, if you're single, there's every chance that you might feel lonely. People in our society who are single are a growing population at a rapid rate. I want to say this is really important from a Christian point of view. There is not a problem with being a single person. Being single is not being a half person, it's being a whole person. Being single is really good. You're following Jesus, someone who lived the entire of his life being single. Single's good, it's right, it's totally fulfilling. But here's the deal, being single and lonely is not good. And that's what needs to be addressed. The problem isn't being single, the problem is being single and constantly feeling that you are lonely. This is an amazing book. Has anybody read Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury? Put your hand up, please. My wife. <laughs> One other. Anybody else? Where, are, where do you people live? You're on your screens, aren't you, all the time. Look, this is an old-fashioned thing called a book, okay? This is an absolutely outstanding book, The Seven Myths of Singleness. Please, please read this. It's just devastatingly honest and wonderful about how to be totally single but not feel alone. He does One of the myths is being single, you'll never know family. Brilliant chapter. One of the myths is being single, you'll never know intimacy. He destroys this. And this is a single guy in his 40s writing this from his experience. And if you're married, you need to read this book because this is totally brilliant for married people to understand single people and the lives that we are meant and called to live together. It's fantastic. Don't look at me blankly. When I come in a few weeks' time, all the hands are going to go up when I say, have you read Sam Albury's book? You can get this anywhere. Just get it, okay? It is fantastic. It's so helpful to have these kind of tools to help us understand these things. If you're divorced, you are probably lonely. A friend of mine, her mum and dad divorced, and I was chatting to her not so long ago, and I said, um, what ever happened to your dad? Because I know he doesn't have much to do with you after the divorce. He said, tragically, he lives in a bedsit somewhere in Bromley. I don't even know where it is. And he hardly ever comes out, and he doesn't have anything to read. See, the, see society produces this persona, everything is fine, but the reality is the reality of where people end up, and they end up isolated and lonely. And this, very quickly, is going to surprise some of you, but this is absolutely important I say this. You can be married and still be lonely. You can have two people that live exclusively <laughs> together, and there's nothing wrong with being exclusive in your relationship because that's absolutely really brilliant. No one else gets into your marriage like you, husband and wife, do. But the reality is if you live as an isolated unity outside, at unit, unity, outside of... Outside of community, you can become isolated. And if one of you or two of you are both lonely, you don't find everything in marriage. Marriages need to be in family, broader family, and in the wider community. And I mentioned this already, but if you are isolated from your worldwide family that's spread out all over the world, then you can feel lonely as too. This is a time bomb that is ticking. And we don't know where it's going to end. But the good news is, God has the answers. 
We know from the word of God that this is not something that's acceptable to him either and he's already put into place all the things we need to resolve this situation. And there are three of them and I'll go real quick. Number one, God addresses the issue. Psalm 68, we just read it together. He's already on it. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widow. Before you even knew what a fatherless generation was and that there would be so many widows around or that there would be so many lonely people, God already has come up with the answer. Right there back in Genesis, the very first thing that's said to man is this. It is not good for man to be alone. All you need to get out of that one, one thing is mankind was not, le- was not meant to live alone. And I'm going to spread it out a little bit broader and say this. It is not good for mankind to be alone. Whoever we are, this is not God's will. We were all made to be in community. We're made to live our lives out in community. And if you are lonely, part of the solution is to make sure that you are in this sense of a life with other people all around you. Sometimes people will say to you, um, I like my own company. Or they'll say, yeah, they'll just say that. <clears throat> I just like my, I just prefer my own company. I don't like people, I prefer my own company. And that kind of sounds okay, and then you realize you end up as a recluse. You end up as somebody that can't communicate or live normal life. None of us were made to be living in our own company. And of course, God's solution to this is it begins with him. The sense of loneliness doesn't begin by you surrounding your friend. You're going to rush out of this sermon now and you're going to just, just make sure you've got far more friends that are following you than you've ever had before. And that will do it. No, it won't. It doesn't start with lots of people. It starts with God's relationship with you yourself. It's amazing. The gospel does it. The gospel potentially, I'm using that word carefully, ends loneliness. Because this is about your father now having a relationship with you as his child through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus. That through the blood of Jesus, what was separated, God and us, can now be joined together. And we now have a relationship with him. And this is why it deals with loneliness. When you're a child of God, you are never alone, even when you are alone. It never happens. God says again and again scripture, fear not, for I am with you. Jesus said these well-known words in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. We will have a relationship together. I won't leave you abandoned as orphans. He's expressing the father to the fatherless. And saying, I will come to you and you will know my presence. And you know, the wonderful antidote to loneliness right off the bat is now I'm a child of God. I know that I'm never alone. Even if there's nobody with me or even if I'm in a crowd of people, I'm never alone because God has promised always to be with me. It's fantastic. Now this is head knowledge, which is good because it's truth. It's not about feeling lonely or not feeling lonely. It's about knowing that you're no longer alone because that's the truth. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it goes on another step because it's great to have that in your head, but you need it in your heart. What is that? That's the assurance within you that you are a child of God, which is the assurance that you know that 
Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And you get that inside you. You just know that it's true. So it's true in your head. It's true in your heart. But even that doesn't quite do the trick. It goes a long way. Because inside of you, you know this now needs tangible expression. I don't want to be alone. I don't feel that I'm alone because God is with me. And God agrees with you, which brings us to the second point. He has provided with us the family of God. Isolation is replaced not only knowing it's true that you are never alone because he's with you, but also is that he places us into real people, brothers and sisters. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Like it or not, when you become a Christian, you're baptized into people. And that's a real problem for some of us because we really like our relationship with God, but we just don't like people. People are a pain. The church would be fantastic. The only problem is it's got people in it. And we think, I don't like, I don't want, do I have to, I love being a Christian. Do I really have to hang out with people? And God says, yes, you do, because that's how this is expressed. People you don't know, people you don't particularly like, Jews and Greeks were not really getting on with one another. We've just done the race series in this church. Diversity, people are different with us. Totally different and yet not different at all. They're totally the same as you. They have the same DNA. They have the same father that you have and I have. And so the family of God is one of the way God provides for this terrible isolation and loneliness all around us. And I just love the early church. They didn't get everything perfect like we don't, but they were exemplary in a few things. And one of the things they were exemplary with was looking after one another in an amazing way. Um, if I can just read out to you Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own wow but they had everything in common with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all and there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds. What was going on here was there's a whole load of people becoming Christians. The love of God was so shed abroad in the hearts of all the Christians. They looked around and they saw people without clothing, without food, without even housing. And the result was they sold all their land and brought the whole lot together so that no one would be without. And so you see this amazing statement in verse 34. Not a needy person was among them. Now, I've visited a whole load of church, probably thousands in my life. I have never found a church like this. I've never found a church, and new community certainly isn't one of them, where we could say, and there was not a needy person amongst them. Now, their needs were different from our needs. Now, follow me, because this is important. I've just tried to show you what's the biggest need that we are facing as a church community in this kind of society is isolation and loneliness. Do you know what that means? When people get saved and become part of this church, isolation and loneliness is their need. We have a responsibility in our world to make sure there was not a needy person amongst them meant there's no one in new community that ever feels lonely. And I have to say to you today, that's simply not true. 
there are many people in our church who still feel lonely and God's calling upon us is to not allow that to be the case and do something about it. How do we go about doing this? Well, we start to open our homes. So glad, Nicola, that you've invited all of us around on Christmas Day. I'm really looking to... What's he cooking? Turkey? Whole thing. If you go online, these guys have just said, whoever you are, come around to our house, which is really fantastic. I actually can't come because I've got a whole lot of people around my house. But they may, I mean, it's just a wonderful expression. If you're alone, don't be alone on Christmas Day. It's just the way that it should be for all of us across this church community. We need to learn how to open our homes. We need to learn how to be hospitable, inconvenient though it is. And it's not words alone. It has to be deeds. It's things that we do. I just love the early church. You know, you just think that they just all love one another. It all fell out of heaven. <laughs> if, you can't do it now, but at some point, read 1 Timothy 5. It's a weird chapter. It's all about the widows in the church. And there's the widows who are under 60, the widows who are over 60, and those who are on the list and those who are not allowed to be on the list, and those who you care for and those you don't care for because their kids need to care. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You think this is just... A... And then you realize this is the word of God. This isn't some little sideline issue for them. This is God's breathed word. And they worked really hard at it. They didn't just preach sermons, no one should be lonely. Man alive. They found a widow and they got her on the list and they provided all the food and they went around and no one was neglected on Christmas Day. Well, it wasn't even Christmas Day in those days. But you know what I mean. It's like they looked after one another. How does this really work? Galatians 6 verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That means Everyone who lives around here. And especially to those who are of the household of God. What does that mean? Well, you've got an opportunity, guys. Start here. There's no point going out there making sure there's no lonely people when there's a whole load of lonely people in your community. So where does it start? It starts in your local church. It starts in this venue. It starts here. How does that work? Well, we just watch out for one another. We just start looking around. Are there lonely people in the Elton venue? This is not a very big venue. It's not very hard to find out whether there are people genuinely that are lonely. Philippians 2 verse 3 says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's it's just watching out. The issue is this, you cannot leave this, this problem to a few people because a few people can only look after a few people. This is one of those one-anothering moments. One-anothering, the word, the phrase one-another comes 57 times in the New Testament alone. One-another, one-another, one-another. This isn't for a couple of elders. This isn't for a few enthusiastic people in the, the Elton venue. This is for all of us to look out for everybody so that we know as a community. And what happens when people get saved in this, when this happens, they get added into this. And then they get added into this. And if this is everyone looking out for one another, when they join, it doesn't matter how big this venue gets. This venue's going to get big, right? It's going to be hundreds and hundreds of us in the end. But if the DNA is caring and looking out for the lonely, they won't get lost in the crowd because it'll be part of who we are. You know, we provide communities. There's a certain percentage of people in each venue that's in the communities. And communities are great. It's our way as a church saying, look, we're growing. 
Here's a community. Would you like to join it? It's totally up to you. No one's put you under pressure. But then you realize a community alone is just a tool. It's just a means to an end. It doesn't actually make lonely people not lonely. They're fantastic. Please join a community if you possibly can. But really, it's about you and me looking out for one another on a daily basis. Here's the challenge in my life, as I kind of draw things slightly to a close. Um, and I've been so convinced about this. Um, the challenge is this. Am I too busy? Am I too preoccupied? Is my lifestyle such that it has no extra space for more people? And if the answer to those questions are a negative answer, then something is wrong and something needs to change. For this one reason alone, Christians are followers, followers of Jesus, and Jesus was never, ever too busy for people. He always had time for individual people, and if you track the Gospels, you'll find he particularly has time for those who are isolated and who are lonely. He was never, ever hurried. When he speaks to an individual, it's like time stops still for this moment. So the woman at the well who he sat next to, it's like everybody was off doing a whole lot of stuff. There's a woman at the well and he sits next to her. He should not have done that. He was breaking all the rules. But it was like the whole of the universe stopped for this moment as he had this conversation with this person who has had five partners in her life. But Jesus knows what the real problem is. She's lonely. She's isolated. And she doesn't know it, but the God of the universe is sitting by her at the well. And it's all that matters is his conversation with her. The woman who touched him in the crowd. Jesus said, someone's touched me. The disciple says, don't be stupid. Everyone's touching you. It's a crowd. But he knew the individual. And he turns and it's like everyone else has forgotten and just set this one woman. The woman who's caught in adultery literally ends up standing alone with Jesus. Because he said, let the person without sin cast the first stone and they all drop their stones one by one and the only person that could have cast the first stone was Jesus himself because he had no sin and he stood and literally it was her and him alone as he gave her instructions he was saying to her you are important you are not alone you really matter Zacchaeus why is he stuck up in a tree because no one likes him they all hate him he's a lonely guy Jesus reaches out to him I could give illustration after illustration. Even the parables of Jesus, he will leave the 99 and go for the one. Tells us that people and having time for people, particularly the lonely, are really important. I, I, I can barely believe it that when Jesus is dying in agony on the cross, have you noticed when you read the story of the cross, he's just concerned about individuals around them. Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. The thief on the cross, today you will be, he's having a conversation with an individual. And he says to his mother, mother, he says to John, the disciple, look after my mother. It's like, even when he's dying, he's thinking of individuals. Should I have time for people, for individuals, the lonely? Of course, for no other reason than this. I call myself a follower of Jesus. And if I am too busy and too preoccupied that I haven't got time in my life, See, I think my life, and I don't think I'm the only one in the room. I'm looking at you, Tom, but I'm, I'm just, just, I don't know why I'm looking at you. I'd look at someone else. We're kind of like similar in the world in which we live, this individualistic consumerist world of, of rush and turmoil and running around and 
my life's very regimented and I don't like interruption. And people are a nuisance because they interrupt my, they're inconvenient. I find myself thinking, but I've got to go here because it's in my diary. And this person wants my time and attention. And then I stop myself thinking, David, what are you doing? People are more important than anything else than you think you are doing right now. I've just, I've, I've just ordered a, a new book. It's called the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. My problem is I don't think I'm going to have time to read it when I get it. <laughs> I mean, it's just nuts. I, I, I'm, really get, I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh, I'd have to read it while I'm doing something else or going somewhere. Can't just stop. People are really important. I was at the center, just closing with this, um, the other day. And it was a Friday. And I'm barely ever at... Uh, the building at the centre on Fridays because Friday mornings is mostly my study day when I'm preparing for Sunday preach. But on this particular occasion, we had some of our grandkids uh, coming up to be with us and they were there that day. So I love my grandkids, but I'm going to avoid them for this morning. And I thought, I've just got to go to the centre. So I rock up the centre and Maxine's there. She said, what are you doing here? It's Friday. I I know I had to get away from the family. I'm going to have a little room and study on my own. Halfway through the morning, I come out of my study. She knows I'm prepping two sermons, and I've sent one to her. She's doing the outline for me, and I've got a gap, so I go for coffee. And when I go there, there's a bit of a rumpus going on. And Silver and Gold, which is our older people's things downstairs, and it's one of the people they're genuinely very, very upset, a lady, been in our church for many years, very distraught. And uh, up they came. <laughs> they came up. They said, we're looking for an elder. Is there an elder? I don't know why they needed an elder, but anyway, we're looking for an elder. We need an elder. And at which point I walk in, and I could see Maxine's face going, here's an elder, but he's busy, and he's only halfway through one sermon, he needs another. So she doesn't say, she looks at me, and I look at her, and I said, of course I'd love to come down and pray, pray with you. And she, got, she stares at me, and I go down, and I spend this half an hour, 40 minutes with this lady to be honest with you, while I was there and we were praying, it was just a wonderful moment of comfort and love and care for this individual. I just remember saying to myself, this is more important than anything else you're going to be doing today. This moment. And I'm not promoting myself. I'm just saying, I'm just learning this. This isn't an inconvenient interruption to my busy day. This is what Christianity is really all about. The third thing and final thing is this, and I've only got time to say one thing. There were scriptures I was going to read. We ran out of time, but we've just got to make this practical. It is true that God has got the answer, that you're never alone, even when you're alone, because he's with you. And it's true that he's provided the family of God so that there's an antidote to loneliness. But the third thing is we've just got to go from here today and start to be practical. What does that mean? We've got to find the lonely. They're all around us. They're locked away, but they're there. The lonely are not going to come to you. That's why they're lonely. You and I have got to go to us. Everyone in new community between now and Christmas was to find some lonely people. This at least would be the start of this journey. What's that phrase they use about dogs? Dogs are not for Christmas but for life. Is that the phrase they have? So just to say this, you know, people are not just for Christmas. (laughs) They really are for the whole rest of your life. But let's start here. Why? Because this is where it becomes more poignant than ever. Are there lonely people you can just knock on the door and have a cup of tea? Are there people you can invite around to your house? Stop in the street and just chat. Are there people we can start to find? And it's not just the elderly, it's the young, it's the divorced, it's the widow, it's the 
single guy living in his bed city. It's just all sorts of people all around us. They're made in the image of God, all of them. God sees them in their loneliness. He has compassion towards them. And we need to reach out to them, not just to save them, though that would be wonderful, but we reach out to them just to express love, to repel their loneliness. There was someone this Christmas that spoke to me. And that's as simple as we should approach this. Can we just stand to our feet and pray? Perhaps we'll just close our eyes just for a moment. Lord, we really do pray that you allow this word, how not to be lonely, to live with us over these coming weeks. I pray for everybody in this room to have a moment, myself included, where we can work out this word, look at people differently, a bit more time for people, a bit more reaching out. Would you like to come round, expressing something of your love, and we want to start it here with the family of God. Lord, I want to ask you, would you please rob new community of loneliness? That there'll be no one in our church community that will be lonely. We don't want people at the end of meetings like this going home, having a meal on their own, no one talking to them. We want to express this love and community to one another. Folks, this is really important. Loneliness at the end of the day is literally a killer. People numb their loneliness they turn to drugs, they turn to drink, and a whole load of them have messed up relationships because they're desperate for, for removing this loneliness. And tragically, even, even young people commit suicide because they can't stand their loneliness anymore. These people need Jesus. They need to know the one who will never leave them and never forsake them. And maybe, just maybe, they'll meet Jesus through you and me, reaching out and just expressing something of the love of God. Those of you who are married couples, those of you who've got homes, those of you who've got single people who've got homes, those of you who've got any opportunity to share what you've got with others, I want to really encourage you. Don't find this as an inconvenience and an interruption. Don't be so regimented in your lifestyle that you don't have time for others. Are there lonely people that you can set in your family? Is there someone in Elton New, New Community Church in this venue that you can express hospitality to? Is there someone that you can reach out to this Christmas? And here's a final thing. If you are lonely in this church and you know you are, please, please talk. Don't, don't stay lonely. Talk it out. We're not perfect, but we would love to be with you and work this out. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.